Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Beyond Exodentals podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Petrellis, and we are excited for our 12th episode. And just in the words of DJ Khaled, and another one. We just, we keep bringing on great coaches um, that I'm really excited and honored that, that want to share their knowledge with us. And today, you know, is another great coach and another great example of that. So I'm just going to read off some statistics about this coach. Um, so you guys understand a little bit more of the type of guests that we have on today. Um, was the eight year head coach of Wilmington girls basketball for eight years and all eight years had playoff appearances, a record of 120 wins, 60 losses, the winningest girls basketball coach in the history of Wilmington High School was also 12 and 8 in playoff appearances as a head coach and has a Middlesex title under his belt and we know from some past guests we've had on the Middlesex League is no easy league to be playing in and is currently right now going into the third season of head, head girls basketball coach at Malden Catholic High School um, and you know in 2019, led his team to a 15-5 and record um, in their first year eligibility of playing as a varsity sport. He coached them the previous year as a freshman team and went 19-1. and uh, Very impressive. And coaching credentials from 2019, we have Boston Globe Division Four Coach of the Year. We have our MIAA Coach of the Year in 2019 for girls basketball. And the Massachusetts uh, Basketball Coaches Association Coach of the Year in 2019. So someone who knows the game well has coached the game very well for a long period of time and has done it in multiple places ladies and gentlemen today's guest jay keen from malden catholic high school hey anthony how you doing good 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 i, I feel like i might have missed did you walk did you walk on water last year too was it was that in the resume that i missed <laughs> oh, oh, that that intro, I just feel old. That's what. <laughs> well, I just as I said, it's an honor to have you on here today, and I know we got to speak earlier in the week, and just getting to know you has, has been awesome, and I'm really looking forward to, to hearing more today. So um, I'm just going to kind of ask you the general question that I ask most coaches that come on here. Uh, talk about how you got started into coaching and, and where your coaching career really began. You know, after high school, I really wasn't um, heading towards college. It wasn't, wasn't my thing. I went right to work. But I helped out Jim McCune, who's a uh, Hall of Fame coach. He just started out at St. Clements, and I was just pretty much helping out to get in the gym, you know. I'd do the book. I'd help them with practices. I'd, I'd read the lineups, whatever they needed just to stay involved. And um, working with Jim, I certainly learned a lot about coaching. Um, he's definitely a mentor and someone that's really taught me a lot. That's awesome. So you started off as an assistant coach. And how many years were you an assistant coach before you kind of made that run into becoming or wanting to become a head coach? Well, when Jim left um, St. Clement's late 80s, uh, he went up to Wilmington High School. Um, shortly after that, I had gotten married and my wife and I moved up to Wilmington. So he was looking for a freshman coach. I'm like, sure, here I am. And um, so I started coaching the freshman for Jim. At the time, they were in the uh, Merrimack Valley, really, really tough league. Um, they're making the switch over to the Cape Ann League, um, and the girls' job opened up. I didn't get it, and a few years later, it opened up again, and that's when they, uh, they hired me. That's great. So obviously having some years under your belt, especially coaching the boys basketball, you know, talk about that adjustment, right? Coaching boys basketball and then jumping over into coaching girls basketball at the varsity level. Talk about maybe the adjustment as an assistant coach you made when you became a head coach. One of the big differences, I think, um, when you take over a whole program, which is all, all three levels, is it's a big responsibility and it's a lot of work. Um, Number one, you're a coach for your team and you have to organize it, but 
You also, you know, make a point to get to the JV games, the freshman games, um, just all the planning, having good assistant coaches help. Um, but overall, um, the, the coaching aspect was kind of the same. I felt, you know, girls want to be coached. Uh, obviously, you coach them a little bit different than boys, but as far as a, a practice, they want to work hard and they want to win. So that part of it was easy for me. That's awesome. And, and what would you say to like young coaches out there? What do you remember about being that? And you might've already kind of mentioned it, but the hardest adjustment from being an assistant coach to becoming a head coach, and you might've mentioned it just with all the responsibilities, but is there something specifically that you remember being like, wow, this is not what I expected as a head coach. Well, <laughs> it's making those big game decisions. Um, you know, having, like I said, good assistance and having worked under gym for so long, um, I felt I was ready. Um, and for me, I, I thought the transition wasn't that hard. I mean, I had to learn a little bit more about, um, you know, talking to them at halftime and taking timeouts, more on a strategy basis than anything. Yeah. And I always, I always, when I became a head coach of football, that was the one big thing is just that you're looking at the game so differently as opposed to being just a coordinator where you're looking at one side of the ball and clock management. If the team gets the ball back, you know, how many timeouts they are going to have, but as a head coach, you're also thinking on the other side of the ball and when you get that possession. So it's just, there is a lot more to think about from a game perspective. So what was the biggest change that you felt because I, I mean, I read the stats off you, you made eight state playoff appearances. So that means you had a winning record for eight years of your program. And I'm not sure where the program was when you took it over, but what was one of the biggest changes you felt like you made towards that program to kind of turn it in the direction that you did? Um, I, I think the, the program, when I took it over, they were just kind of walling around 500 for a few years. They started losing kids out of the program. So one of the first thing that I did, um, there was a longtime assistant, uh, Audrey Cabral-Pini, who was there before me and stayed on with me. I talked to her a lot. She was from Cambridge, you know, city girl, kind of thought the same way about the game. Um, and then I talked to some players. I'm like, you know, what's the problem here? Why are girls walking away? Why, why are you 500? Because it was talent. You know, working with the boys' side, I'd watch the girls play. I'd watch some practice. There was something missing. So I, I kind of brought in, you know, the way Jim coached, the way Jim taught. You know, come in. Coach hard, but you got to be fair. you got to be consistent. I had to change the culture. You know, the, the girls just didn't know how to win. And I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. But once the winning started, everything fell into place. Yeah, and that's, you know, I think that's what's important about coming into a program. And I, I've talked to a few coaches about this. Sometimes, you know, coaches think you just – sometimes going got to change everything. You don't necessarily have to do that. It's just sometimes just tweaking something or you said maybe just the way that they practice or the way they, you know, handle game situations saying, well, maybe they should do more of this and, and less of that. And so you kind of saw that firsthand a little bit and that's great. Coach, walk us to a practice of yours. So walk us through just like a typical practice, whether Wilmington or Malden Catholic, or maybe it's similar, but what's a typical practice for you like? Well, typically uh, the first 15 minutes is a little stretching and conditioning. Um, like most programs, right? Uh, you want to get them in, get them warmed up, get them stretching. And then all the drills we do is with the basketball. We don't do just sprints for the sake of, uh, sake of running. Um, we do a lot of full court drills. And then we go to our breakdown stuff. We'll start with, um, you know, 10, 15 minutes of, of a drill for defense, uh, something else on offense. Then we'll start working on it. So we try to break it down into 10, 15-minute increments. And, and what I found is in, in, you know, you talk about being a new coaches. One of the things I did wrong early was if something wasn't going right, I'd stick with it. And I found out I was wasting the practice because if they're not going to get it in the time allotted, come back to it the next day. 
give it a fresh look because the kids get frustrated too. So uh, we would move on and I think the practices go, they're, they're cleaner, they work faster, uh, the kids enjoy them more. If you get bogged down in just a couple of things, it just, it's like running in the mud, you know? Uh, yeah. They just, they get frustrated. Now they, they want to take a break, they want to go home. And, and how much scenario, I mean, I, I live in the football world, so it's one game a week, you have a whole week to prep, but in basketball, there's probably a quick turnaround of either back-to-backs or possibly just every other night. Um, talk about how you make that adjustment. One opponent ends, you got your next opponent coming up. I mean, how do you, how do you prepare for that so quickly? I like to think that we have a little bit of everything prepared, um, and then usually the day before, in season, the day before a game, we'll go over a little bit what the other team does. But I, I primarily like to focus on what we do and what we can do to make ourselves better, whether it's offensively or defensively. Um, I've really focused on that. When we get towards the state tournament, we do more scouting and more uh, individual breakdowns on players. Um, that's usually we get more into what the other team is doing because by the end of the year, we've done all our drills. We've done all our breakdown stuff. You know, we know the plays. So now we concentrate more on the other team. That's great. I mean, I never really thought of that from a basketball perspective. Yeah, you're just kind of working on you and getting better at you. And then as you get later in the season, yes, you got to prepare for opponents a little bit. That makes perfect sense, Coach. Um, so you mentioned and alluded to it a little bit earlier, but you were in the Cape Ann and you were in the Middlesex. I mean, talk about playing in those two leagues because that cannot be easy to be competing year after year against programs in both of those leagues. So we get into the um, Cape Band League when they take over in 2005, I think. And um, we get Bob Romeo at Masco. We've got John McNamara taking over a Pentucket program. And they went on a run. They're still on a run. Uh, we had Mandy Zagorowski up at Ipswich. Uh, Sue Breen was at North Andover. I mean, we're good. And we're going out and just absolutely hanging with these teams. And then at the end, losing games. So our record didn't necessarily reflect how good we were. Because then we go on the, the tournament those first few years in Division Three, and we go on a nice run because we've been playing the iron all, all year. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and that's it, right? Because you're kind of – and you see them, what, twice a year, a home and home? Is that typically how it goes, right? Yeah. So, yeah, so you see, for all intents and purposes, you have 10 to 12 games that are just tough playoff games anyways. Right. Oh, yeah. So that's half Real of tough. your season, you know? Um, so talk about your run at Wilmington a little bit. I mean, I know when you, like I said, you had eight state playoff appearances, but in 2006, 2007, those teams, you started seeing like 17 win seasons, 20 win seasons. Talk about like the growth of your program and what you credit that to, because you did have a, if nothing else, you were a team that won 16 to 20 games a year. And, it, and teams were like, Oh, we drew Wilmington round one because they know they're going to get a tough coach team that has played tough competition all year. So what do you equate that growth to? You know, I give a lot of credit to my sub varsity coaches, you know, as kids graduate, you need to have kids to be able to move into those positions. I'm kind of an old school guy, you know, one, two, three, four, five, um, that first few years, they had an outstanding uh, post player, Ashley Vitale. You don't see many good post players anymore. It's kind of a lost art. But um, we had a really good nucleus. We had a shooting guard. We had a good point guard. We had all the pieces. Um, and when I took over, those girls were juniors. So I had two really good years, and that led into a nice run. That's great. Because you got to understand that, that one year we went to the Songus. So we come in, and the school had given out five, six, seven hundred white shirts. You're the songest, the place is crazy. All those little kids that are there, those little girls are like, I want to I play. So anytime you have a winning program and a winning tradition, 
that just generates more interest. You know, the camps get bigger, more kids want to play, more kids come out every year. So definitely those early few years really uh, planted the roots for that program. And, and I love that you said like these little kids are looking at you. And, and, and when I coached Thanksgiving, part of my speech always talked about the little kids that are there watching you, that are there with their dads that once played here or their cousins that play here. And they want to be like number 10 or number 12, or I want to be like the quarterback. And these kids look up to you. So there is that responsibility of not only representing your school and representing your team, but you also represent the community. And talk about how heavily involved were you as a coach in the youth programs in the town? Um, and obviously it's a great feeder program that leads up over these eight year runs too. So how involved were you with the youth programs in Wilmington? Um, not as much as you think. <laughs> the one thing, the, the, and you live in Wilmington, so you, you'll understand um, the youth program is really well run. Boys and girls, basketball, outstanding, Pop Warner, soccer, they're all great programs. So I didn't have to do a lot, but what I would do is just go and watch games. I didn't go to tell the coaches what offense to run, what defense to run. But the kids would see you there. So every year we'd have a camp, and you'd get 100 girls showing up, the high school girls or the coaches, and that kind of gets them all kind of know each other. So then on the Friday night, the stands are full of, uh, you know, travel basketball players wearing their Wilmington shirts. And I really got, you know, Wilmington's a great community, and they really wrap their arms around that program. Yeah. And, and that's the one thing I noticed is just, like I said, you said, you know, be, being a citizen of the town, I just, there's always things going on. I mean, obviously not so much more now, but um, there's always things going on in the community. The parks are always full. The basketball courts are always packed. You can't get an open basketball court anywhere. So you're right. It is a town that cares about its sports and they provide plenty of opportunity for their athletes to participate in that. So talk about the flip side of that a little bit. And I've talked to a few coaches about this, but the one difficult thing about being a head coach, and I don't necessarily experience it in the football world because the numbers you want are huge. You want to have a huge sideline. It's an intimidation factor. But in, in other sports, you know, it's a cut sport. And, you know, you can only carry a certain amount of people. And, you know, you have to evaluate talent, take a look at a talent and make that decision. So talk about that as a coach because I know that's not easy for coaches. And I think it's important for, you know, people out there to hear these decisions are very difficult for coaches that they have to make, especially in cut sports. Absolutely. And here we are at uh, Malden Catholic, which we can talk about later, but, you know, we have tryouts and you have huge numbers of girls. Um, you can't keep everybody. I mean, it, there's a max 15 on each team. Um, and as a varsity coach, I've always said the top 12 or 13 kids, regardless of what year they are, make the team. Because we're here to win. Then we put our JV team together, okay? Um, they all don't play evenly, but they all play. We're going to play to win. And the freshmen play evenly, and it's just kind of a skill-building uh, year for them. Skills and drills, a lot of that. Uh, but everybody plays in the game regardless of the score. You know, that's what we want to do. And getting those kids involved was uh, huge for us. Even when I took over the program, they only had um, banquets for the varsity girls, which I thought was absurd. You know, when I came from the boys' side, we had a huge banquet for everybody because you want everyone to feel like they're part of that. Right. And, but, and, and yeah, cutting kids definitely is not a good. Yeah. I just, you know, it, it's something that I think is, it's really difficult for a coach, you know, as much as it's difficult for that player, you know, coach trying to make a decision for a team, realize, Hey, this kid might have done everything I've asked him to do. But like you mentioned, you know, I, I'm in a position that I got to carry the best players possible. to going to help my team win. So it's not easy. I, I can imagine for a coach, it's hard. And I think it's important. No, but you know what? Yeah. In reality, it falls on the kids. 
Um, we're picking varsity by talent. If, if I picked, kept every kid that I liked, and we like every kid. You know, some parents think it's a personal thing when, when somebody doesn't make a team, but it's not. You know, these kids have been working for nine months. This person hasn't picked up a basketball. So who do you think should get on the varsity team? And we don't want to, if, if we can keep somebody and offer them a position on a different team, then it would be up to them to not play if they didn't like the situation. Yeah. And, 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 and yeah. And, and, and like you said, it's just, it's not an easy decision and it's not personal. It's not a personal decision. You know, it's as coaches, we get judged for wins and losses, unfortunately, more than anything. So you have to try to put the best product out there year after year. I agree. So I know you had such a great run in Wilmington. It was, you know, you lived in the town, you were very invested, you know, yourself with your family. Talk about after the 2013 season, you made a decision to kind of step away from coaching for a little bit. Um, You know, so what kind of went into that decision making for you that you thought at the time, you know, I think right now basketball is, is not in the cards for me. You know, I guess a lot of coaches say this when you have to leave and you call the kids in, it's, it's a really tough conversation. Um, I had three starters coming back. I had my sixth person coming back. I had a good team coming back. So that wasn't why I was leaving. I could have stayed. You know, it's funny. I'll, you always want to stay for this other group of kids, but at some point it was time to move on. And I thought the program was in good shape. Um, I had just gotten a promotion in work. My son was playing at Wilmington High. My daughter was playing in college. You know, I owed them that time back, you know, because you do need the support of your family. It's, it's a long, it's a long season, every season, you know, so without their support, I couldn't have done what I liked, but they also deserve to have me at their games. Yeah. And, and I think you said it's not easy for any coach to have to do it. I know I had to do it myself and it's just, it's not an easy conversation to have, especially, I mean, you had a good team coming back. So, you know, the, the true reason was about family and, and living your life a little bit. And, you know, so you were away from the game for a few years, but I know that in the process, you also a certified referee in basketball. So was refing basketball kind of a thing that you started maybe chomping at the bit to get back at it a little bit, or, you know, talk about the process of being away from basketball and then maybe realizing, Hey, I kind of want to get back into this a little bit. Well, I want to stay involved in the game somehow. And um, when you're, when you're a basketball official, you can block off days. So I'd block off every day I was working and then I'd be available when I had free time. So it worked out really good. I started off at the freshman and JV level. I didn't really want to do the varsity games because yeah. I've sat on the other side of that. But um, it, was, it was good. And, and you, you do find yourself thinking as a coach sometimes, like, why are they running that? And they shouldn't be doing that. And, you know, and it, it was fun to go back and forth with coaches. They're like, why'd you call that? I'm like, why'd you run that offense? Like, they've been beating <laughs> you all night. But those, those are the kind of things that kind of like, oh, man, I wish I could get back into coaching. But it had to be the right opportunity. Yeah. And, and talk about that because I know when we spoke to each other, there were the year that you were looking to get back into it. I know you went to North Reading for a year as an assistant um, on the varsity boys. Correct. Right. Was that uh, varsity, varsity, girls. Varsity, varsity girls? Varsity okay. girls. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, you, you went a year there and obviously you were referring, right. And, and that maybe kind of got you back into it. And then you sat on the bench as an assistant. Did it start coming back there being like, okay, I kind of want my own program. I kind of want to run things my own way again. Like, was that the kind of tipping point for you that you wanted to get back into it? Yeah, it's funny. So at uh, North Reading at the time is coach Bob Malillo, some of a guy, longtime coach, Hall of Famer. Um, he'd go to halftime and he'd give his speech. And then he'd look at me, he goes, you want to add anything? I'm like, no, you, you said everything I would say. Like, I'm kind of on that coaching tree 
with uh, Bob Malillo, Jim McCune, as you go down the road, those are the guys I've learned from. So we all kind of think the same way. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, it's hard to sit on the bench and not coach. But he was doing a great job. He didn't need, he didn't need my opinion. But just kind of get frustrated. I'm like, I, I think I want to have my own team. Yeah. Yeah. And, and at the end you want, yeah, you want to do it your way. You've been there before and you, and you want to get back there. I get it. Um, talk a little bit about that, those jobs that were opening. Cause the year that you went for a few of these jobs, I mean, there were a lot of good jobs that opened up in the state for girls basketball and a, some real good programs. So, you know, talk about the decision-making process for you and how you ended up landing in Malden Catholic. So I was, I started to look, um, I had applied for one or two jobs that I didn't get which won't be part of this podcast. But <laughs> we could talk off the air. But, um, you know, like Dave Brady, longtime Hall of Famer from Arlington Catholic, had just stepped down. And then you had um, Andover had turned over a coach after two or three years. So I was looking at those big, high-profile programs. I, think, I thought my resume would get my foot in the door and possibly a, a, a second interview. And then the Malden Catholic job opened up. Now, who I, I started with Jim McCune in Wilmington. He was now at Malden Catholic Boys doing a great job. And I said, what's going on over there? He says, they're starting a girl's school, but you know, you'd be a good guy for the job, but you have to be patient because they're starting. They were only bringing in 70 freshmen each year. That's how they started the school. No juniors, no sophomores. So um, I went for an interview and just the idea of building your own program. You know, I could have coached any other school, but it would never have been like my program. I kind of felt in Wilmington when I left, like I had, put my my mark on that program here I was going to get to build a program from the ground up I mean everything from basketball to uniforms to everything it was kind of it was it was a good challenge I thought so I interviewed for the job and they offered me the job but the school didn't open for another year so they hired me a year in advance um, so I kind of got my thoughts together I was out watching like some division four schools because we were starting basically with 70 girls and um I was lucky enough to have uh, one girl from Wilmington who knew me, uh, Andrea Turner. I knew she was an outstanding player, and it was definitely someone I could build around. And, um, you know, our first year, we were freshmen. And um, we played mostly freshmen. We played some JV teams, and we played one varsity team two games, uh, another new program up in the North Shore. And uh, we went 19-1, and it was a great season. There was definitely room for huge improvement. Um, so, yeah, so I thought it was a good challenge. It was taking over a brand-new program. It's setting it up for success, and I think so far, so good it's worked out. Yeah, I mean, talk about that, right? Because you're, you're actually, believe it or not, the, and this is, I felt like this was such a rare thing, but now I think of a 12 podcasts. I've had three coaches on here that started programs from the ground up. So, I mean, talk a little bit more about that process, I guess. Like, you know, you got hired a year in advance. You started scouting the competition. Obviously, you're an independent schedule, um, I'm assuming, so you kind of get to pick those opponents a little bit. So, you know, talk about just – some of the things that go into starting a program from scratch that like you people wouldn't even think of that. You're like, wow, I got to do that. Well, we played some schools um, the first year and if we beat their freshmen pretty good, they would just send their JV JV team the second time. We just play their JV team because I wanted to try to play up a little, see where we were. Um, so when we got to that second year, I went to the school and I said, I think we can play varsity. And they were kind of hesitant. No other girls sport in the school had done that. But I was pretty confident I could get 10 wins and get us in the tournament. Um, and, and actually, we were 16 and 6 because I played Ursuline and I 
Um, wow. I didn't count the games. I excluded them because they were good. And we ended up splitting with them last year in two great basketball games. So a lot of the credit here goes to the girls too. I mean, they were buying in right away to what I was, what I was preaching at the, at the gym, you know, this is what we're going to do. And you may not understand it now, but it's going to, at some point you're going to look over at me and go, wow, that worked. And it's happened a few times, but um, so they kind of expected it. So this year I'll have, I'll coach these juniors for three straight years. Cause I only have juniors now, juniors, sophomores and freshmen. So we're, we're kind of setting ourselves up to be on a nice little run. Like we had in Wilmington. Yeah. And that's awesome. And like you said, it's just special because you started it, right? So you kind of made your schedule, you, you know, took the chance of really jumping up. I mean, you jumping into varsity, I mean, you at that point now only have sophomores and freshmen basically playing for you. So you made a great run with underclassmen. Uh, and like you said, you have, the, you have the future to build around. Talk about that first year of success, 19 and one. I know, yes, you played a mostly freshman schedule, but you did play JV teams. You even said you played a few varsity teams that were starting up their mm -hmm. own programs. Talk about that first off season now. You know, now the buzz is out. You want to play in varsity level. Talk about maybe some of the talent all of a sudden that might want to come to you that you maybe didn't think was going to be you know, available or even a thought the year before that. So after that first freshman year, we go up and we play summer league up in Danvers and we're playing all those Northeast conference teams and we're winning some games. I mean, some of the teams were down, some were up. We took our beatings a couple of nights, but you know what? We, um, we made it to the second round of their playoffs in our first summer league playing the varsity teams. Um, that following fall, we ran our own CYO tournament because there was a tournament out there lingering around that had no home. I said, well, we'll host you. We had about 14 uh, CYO teams from around the region come in, 6th, uh, 7th, and 8th graders. And um, it just opens the door to them walking in the building and saying, oh, I've never been here before. And some schools didn't know we had a girls program. Right. So part of it was I had to sell at least the fact that athletically that Marlin Catholic's girls basketball is, is going to be something special. Um, the school itself, when they come for their tours and um, you know their shadow days, the kids love it. When the girls come into school, they absolutely love it. Yeah. And I, what I found so great is like you said, there's not a, there's still people when I mention like you as my guest tonight, they're like, wait, Marlin Catholic has girls in their school. Like there's still people that don't know that, you know? So you're absolutely right about that. So selling it and getting them to say, yeah, not only do we have a program, we have a pretty good program. We're about to, you know, make a run here in D4. Um, so, you know, talk, and I know every coach has kind of really been affected by this, but you have such a great season and now you're coming into this season and COVID hits. So talk about how this has affected your off season and getting ready. I know there's been a lot clear that now you guys will be playing, I think December 14th, if I read right, or somewhere in that area. That's, that's, well, schools are starting at different times. I'm all Catholic. We're going to start doing tryouts, hopefully December 14th. Okay. Okay. That's great. So, you know, talk about how COVID has really affected your off season going into the season. Was kind of the great unknown. I mean, I went from having a full 20 game schedule <laughs> within the last week. I went down to four teams. I got it up to eight. Now I'm back down to six because as things change, um, some schools are going all remote. Uh, some schools are hybrid and don't want to play. And I get that. Um, you know, we didn't have a summer league. So it's really hard because, you know, it, it's an opportunity for the girls to increase their uh, time together as a team. There are a lot of kids now that play AAU, so I know they're in the gym working. 
uh, but not everybody does. And, um, you know, stuff like that shows up at tryouts. Get back to what we talked about earlier. You know, I'll know the first day who worked and who didn't. Yeah. And, and you had mentioned to me when we had talked before um, that, you know, your school has been very supportive of you and very supportive of this program. Uh, talk about the influence that Malden Catholic and, you know, specifically the athletic department has had on really backing you guys into growing into a big program because I think ADs are just so important and the right AD just knows what they're doing and can really build up their sports program. So talk about how much support you have gotten from your AD and from your school really since day one. It's been outstanding. You know, obviously it's a big change. You had an all boys school for decades. Um, and all of a sudden they decide to do a co-divisional model. So co-divisional is the boys have one side of the school, the girls have the other. It's not co-ed. So the girls have all uh, female academics, and they, they really uh, focus on leadership and things like that. It's an outstanding academic program. Um, so the big change was the boys accepting the girls into the building, I would think. But as far as the administration, we have a new AD over there, Bill Raycraft, outstanding guy. Um, even the first year for freshmen, I said, well, just get us some reversibles. They're like, no, you're getting varsity uniforms. Like, no, we're, we're going to walk into a gym and people are going to say, hey, look at Marlon Catholic looks pretty good, you know. And I was a big supporter of that because I always feel, you know, what boys get, girls get. And they're fine with that. You know, the facilities are great. They've, they've made room, space, time for us. Um, and we're still growing. So it's been a really great over there. Uh, the administration has been very supportive. So it's great to hear. And I think when you have that, you know, especially it's like, no, we're a program here. You guys are getting these jerseys. It's great for the kids too, because they feel like they're being taken serious. Yep. They're freshman girls and sophomore girls, but you know, they're very much a part of the school, just like any other boy is. And I think that's a great message uh, mm -hmm. your AD delivers. So let's get into like this. I mean, you're such a successful coach in Wilmington and such a successful coach in Malden Catholic. Let's talk about, you know, your coaching style. I mean, I always find intriguing is, are you a type of coach that, you know, know is very top heavy in the sense of playing like six or seven people or are you a person that really utilizes your entire bench and play very situationally I think every year it's different like every team is different I'd like to go eight if I can yeah. um obviously I'd even like to go even further and and you know that could that ideal can change two minutes into a game with a couple of fouls on a player um but I expect every girl in the program to be ready to go you know, that's how I brought my kids up. Learn all five positions, and then the coach can't tell you to come out. <laughs> you know, raise your hand and volunteer for everything. And that's the key, you know. Um, if we're in a tough game, maybe the bench gets shorter. As we get in the playoffs, the bench may get shorter. But there are times throughout the year where those other girls get some playing time. And, and I try to make a point to not only get them in, but to continue coaching. Like when you put kids in in a, a blowout game one way or the other, they deserve to be coached. And I'll still coach them. Some coaches sit down and watch the rest of the game. But um, those minutes are important because they have to learn their positions and, and how to react and how to play defense. And that real game situation, I think, is really important. Yeah, you know, and, and that was the one thing I felt like when I was a defensive back coach and even a coordinator, it was really looking at – okay, I have six or seven kids that can play defensive back, but these kids can only play man. These kids can only play cover two. These kids can only play cover four. So, you know, you wanted to get kids working because especially some of the younger kids, because you knew situationally, if you coach them right, you put them in a safe position to get some time, 
but to also get that experience and kind of get the, you know, the, the nerves out of them a little bit, because throughout the year, like you said, their playing time may grow and they might be an injury away from playing 10 or 15 more plays than they would or in basketball an extra five or seven minutes a game. If someone goes down, you need to get someone in there. So, you know, I always find it intriguing that coaches know how to utilize their bench the right way, because if you can, then, you know, you're able to do a lot with what you have. So that's awesome. Well, that, Talk, yeah, that also yeah. goes back to when you were talking about, um, you know, selecting the team and kids not making the team. I've had girls who are at the end of my bench, at the beginning of the season, playing important minutes late in the season because they practice hard every day. They're diving for loose balls. They're taking charge. They're doing all the dirty work. And, and to a coach, that's like, I got to get this person playing time. You know, don't be just, don't be satisfied because I gave a uniform sitting into the bench. Work, prove me wrong. And I'll, I'll find that time for you. And uh, that's what we'd like to do because that makes us a better team. Instead of playing eight, I can play nine or 10. Yeah. And that makes it great, you know, and like you said, it's just experience for everybody. And sometimes you find out you have a game day player who in practice just might get it wrong a lot, but in a game just plays tough. And uh, I found that out plenty of times. So it is nice to, you know, sometimes you just never know. Um, you know, and I know other schools might be doing this, so, but I thought it was really cool when we chatted a little bit. I know you mentioned Malden Catholic was talking about, you know, for the basketball games or sporting events that are in the gym, looking into maybe possibly putting in cameras or things like that. So people can live stream that talk about how important that is to your program, because, you know, you are going into all intents and purposes, your third year, but your second year competing like in a varsity schedule. So talk about how important that is that your your team still has the ability to be seen and get exposure. Well, I think it's huge. Um, you know, obviously the parents want to cheer for their kid and hopefully cheer for the whole team. Um, so not being able to do that, especially when you have the younger kids, they haven't had a lot of that uh, exposure time. Um, I think that's really important. And I think parents hopefully can understand that whether it's limited parents or no parents or fans. Um, I know some schools, including Mall and Catholic, are looking into putting in cameras so they can watch the games, which I think would be great um, because, you know, we all support our kids and our team. So, um, I know as a parent, I wouldn't want to have to sit at home and watch my kid play the game, but you know, these are unprecedented times we're in. Yeah, and, and I think it's great that schools are making that adjustment because at the end of the day, you still have kids that are being recruited by colleges. You still have you know coaches out there that um, are really trying to build their programs up. So having a year of not being seen – that's tough. And, and, and I think, you know, that schools doing that or trying to figure that out, everybody's trying to adjust in these times. And, you know, I give schools a lot of credit that are looking into doing that because I think that's great for their athletes. That's great for their mm -hmm. exposure, but it's great for their schools. I mean, Absolutely. You can, and, and that leads me into that last point. I mean, how I found you, Jay, was really in the Twitter world, you know, um, and that's how we kind of first connected to, to get you on the show. And then we found out that we have a million mutual people in common with each other, which has been great. Um, but talk about the world of social media because I know you and your program are very heavy on it, but talk about how that helps, especially in your case, a young up and coming program that just started from the ground two years ago. This is social media, right? Yeah, I would say it is. Oh, right. <laughs> Um, one of the things that happened early on is we went on a nice little run where we were winning games and um, uh, Greg Levinsky from the Globe reached out. He said, hey, we'd like to do a story on, on your team. And he came out to a game and he was like, wow, you guys are only freshmen and sophomores. I can't believe this. And he wrote a really nice article. And I'm at the point now and the school's at the point where we, we need to promote ourselves because as we both said earlier, some people don't even know, hopefully they do now, but Malden Catholic has the girls team. 
like they didn't know. Right. So, um, so through social media and, you know, positive tweets and responses to tweets and you follow a kid and the kid follows you and, you know, it's another way of them knowing more about the program. And just like this, like, um, this is definitely a way for people to know me. <laughs> Right. You know, and I, and I think it's just, to me, I just find it so fascinating. And then I, you know, kind of doing research and some programs that I really follow. Then I start looking at their records and I'm like, man, there's such a correlation here. Like they keep up with their social media. They're constantly on everything. And on top of it, they're a pretty successful program. So they're, they're getting what their product is out there on social media. And I just, every coach just raves about, you know, Twitter, Instagram, you know, getting their stuff out there and letting other kids see specifically in your case, working at Malden Catholic, it's not like you're, you have a public feeder program, you know, you, every year you're getting new kids. And part of that is you're trying to get kids to come to you. Right. And you know, living in Wilmington, I know you've met Jamie Pote or spoke to Jamie, um, you know, before social media, that was how we promoted our program. You know, he would come to every home game and he'd sit down and talk to one player and he'd ask questions. And, you know, that following Thursday, all the kids want to see their names in the paper. And we always made a point to make sure that we didn't miss anybody. You know, anytime we did a preseason preview, we'd go back and forth on names. Um, but that was how we promoted it. But within the town, small town like Wilmington, really community-based, um, it was easy for us to promote the program. In Malden, most kids are from someplace else. So um, having social media and having, you know, I'll, I'll even travel to play some games just to get our, our brand out there because, um, you know, we are new, but I think after last season, um, I don't think we're going to sneak up on anybody anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned Jamie's a great guy. He gave me, you know, as soon as he heard I had you on the show, he was, you know, he couldn't say enough great things about you and, you know, had some information he wanted to give me about you and articles he wrote about you. So he, I learned a lot about you through him. So it's funny you said that. But he does a lot for the town though. I mean, you know, it's got to be hard when you're covering so many sports and it's a small town newspaper and, uh, but he does a great job and he makes sure that the kids really are the highlights of the stories. Yeah, he does. No, you're absolutely right. He does. I've been reading a lot of his stuff. You're absolutely right. Um, talk about, I mean, you said a million great things today. So I, I mean, I've been taking notes, but talk about your advice to young coaches. I mean, someone who's looking to get into the world of coaching, whether it's basketball or somewhere in high school sports, talk about the advice you would give them, not only as an assistant, but if they ever look to make that leap into becoming a head coach at some point. I would say some of the things I mentioned earlier about being prepared for practices. Um, some of the advice I got early on was, you know what, teach what you know. Uh, don't try to go in and reinvent the wheel. You know, if you're comfortable with a certain offense, start there. If you're comfortable teaching a certain defense, start there. Keep it simple to start, and then you can build your program out. If you go in all at once, the kids, their eyes will be spinning, and then you get lost yourself. And that's why I said earlier with the practice plan. Go in with a written-down practice plan. Have your times ready. Have your breaks written in there. You know, if you're prepared every day, the, the, the practices will go smoother and the kids will be more prepared. And then you hopefully game time, everything falls into place. That's awesome. Um, and the last question, I, and I ask all my guests this, and you kind of hinted upon it earlier with your own kids when you talked about that decision from stepping away from Wilmington basketball. Talk about the sacrifice that goes into being a head coach. I mean, you've done it you've done it really well in the town that you lived in, which is, which is great, but you've also done it really well building a program from scratch. All of that requires time and time away from your family and time away from your life and really committing to off season and really committing to, um, you know, your program. So talk about the sacrifices that coaches make, you know, that people just don't realize or guess. Well, 
a very understanding wife. <laughs> no, yeah. my wife, Christine's fantastic. Um, we're basketball people. Both my kids played, you know, like I said, my daughter played in college. So we've been around the game a long time. And so she, she was at almost all my games. Um, she comes scouting with me. Um, and we, like I said, she enjoys it. So it makes it easier on me because it certainly is a big commitment, especially if you have smaller kids, like there's a lot of time away from home. I mean, all those years in Wilmington, we went to the playoffs. You're talking several extra weeks. So we, we might be getting prepared in November. And next thing you know, it's March. <laughs> so right. it, 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 could be, it could be a long winter. Yeah, and that's the thing with the success. Like, you know, like you said, eight play, you know, eight straight playoff appearances. So your season's extended minimally two weeks on minimum, you know, automatically. And if you're making a real deep run, then it's at least another week, possibly two. So yeah. like you said, those weeks add up and it turns into extra months over time. So uh, there is a lot. And obviously committing yourself to, you know, the youth programs or just going to games and showing up as a physical presence, if nothing else, is time away. So, um, you know, we're going to jump into our last segment, which is called our two-minute drill. But before that, I just want to say thanks so much for coming on here. I took a lot of notes. Um, and and I'm, I'm a big MC girls basketball fan. I, I can't wait till, you know, you guys are streaming games. And, you know, I would love to, to get a link and, and get on there and watch you and, and, and see you coach. I, I think you're a great guy, great coach. And we were really lucky to have you on here today. Thank you, Anthony. You know, podcasts like this are certainly a good outlet and a good way for people to see some of the coaches that are out there putting in the time, working with the kids. And you know what? We do it for the love of the game. You know, we love the game. We want to stay involved. We want to help kids. Um, that's most of the coaches I know. Yeah. And, and same with me. Yeah. You know, it's, I've never met a coach who's moaning and groaning about how much money they make coaching because it's not above that, you know, I mean, it's pennies when it's all said and done. <laughs> um, so this last segment's called the two minute drill. So basically I kind of just fire some rapid fire questions at you pertaining to basketball. Um, and you can answer as many as you can in two minutes. Um, and I do get a challenge at some point if you give an answer and I just want to hear your explanation for it and vice versa. I might ask you a question that you're like, all right, I'm going to give you an answer, but I need to explain why, um, you may do the same. So it's always a fun segment. My coaches love it. And, uh, yeah, it'll be good. So let me get the timer set and here we go. Um, what would you consider your style of coaching? Are you a quiet coach or are you a pacer, a yellow or a screamer? What type of coach are you? I'm a quiet coach. Very quiet. I really, I, I, I think the kids should know what they're supposed to do. And I'll, you know, I, I don't like to scream. I don't think they respond any more to that. No, no, I agree. Um, toughest coach you face in your tenure at Wilmington? Um, I'd have to give you two, uh, Bob Romeo at Masco and uh, John McNamara at Pentucket. Both are still doing it. Um, outstanding, outstanding basketball minds. Awesome. Awesome, Coach. Um, what would you say is the biggest victory you ever had as a head coach? Oh, my. Um, <laughs> well, the, um, the year we went to the Songus, uh, the Boston Herald did a thing, uh, the top five games of the season, and we were in three of them. We knocked off uh, right behind you, Arlington Catholic. They were undefeated, number one in the state that year. Wow. Regular season game. Um, our second game, uh, we beat Winthrop, who was the number one seed, to send us to the Garden. And then we lost uh, to Pentucket by a point, I think, in, in the Songus. And it was considered one of the better, better games of the day. So um, so that's your top three. 1A, wow. 1B, 1C. Hey, I mean, yeah, who could pick between those, right? I mean, that's Let me amazing. add one more. Let me add one more, Coach. Sure. Um, this year, um, Mall and Catholic got our first win in our second game at home. 
And then our first tournament game at home, we beat Snowden. So um, that was a huge, huge victory for the kids. Wow. Awesome. Some big games there, coach. Um, what, so on the flip side, what would be a toughest loss? Oh, the Songus game. Yeah. You know, we just talked, you, you invest four plus months of your life and that loss, everything comes crashing down. It was hard, not only on the kids, but as a coach, you know, you get emotionally attached to these kids and it was, it's, it was heartbreaking. Yeah. But all the credits at Pentucket, it was an outstanding basketball game. We had nothing to be ashamed of. But, um, yeah, it, it, it still stings a little bit. Yeah, oh, I, I have a few of those. <laughs> I have quite a few of those. Um, what would you say as a head coach, you were more offensive style-minded head coach or defensive style? I'd have to say offensive. And that's kind of where the games – I probably changed over the years. You know, I think when I started out, I was more of a defensive kind of coach. But um, now the game's changed so much. So a lot of run, running, dribble drive and pass the ball and get the ball up. And I've been lucky enough to have good athletes on my teams that we were able to adapt to that. So I'd probably say uh, more of an offensive coach now. Huh. Okay. Um, how many technical fouls have you gotten in your, in your <laughs> coaching career? <laughs> I think two. Okay. 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 I think two. And one I had to talk to the ref into giving it to me. <laughs> oh, yeah. One of those. Please throw it. Please blow the whistle. Yeah, I just trying to motivate your kids. And I was riding this one guy, and he wouldn't team me up. So when his partner came by, I gave him an earful, and he finally teamed me up. <laughs> I, I didn't get thrown out, though. Wow, that's even better, though. Hey, that's, that's, that's street cred right there. I love it. Um, and the last one, this is always a tough question. I'll give you a minute to explain it is, who's the best player you think you've ever coached in your, in your coaching career? Um, and you could have I'd a one A, one B, one C. I mean, yeah. Really um, I'd have to say uh, the girl I mentioned earlier, Ashley Vitali. She was the first girl scored a thousand points at Wilmington. She won an Endicott. I think thousand points, thousand rebounds. Um, outstanding player, great person. I just got invited to a wedding, so oh. that's always a good thing as a coach, right? Yeah. Um, number two would be Amy Fahey. She was a few years after her at Wilmington. Struggled through some injuries, but still almost scored a thousand. She was 17 points short, and then went up to Fitchburg and broke all the scoring records up at Fitchburg. And I think the sophomore we have, our junior this year, uh, Andrea Turner, she's special, special athlete. Um, you know, she's putting up 20 a game in our first season, kind of carried us with her maturity. I think she's going to be a special player. That's awesome. That's great to have when you have more than one. Um, and, and all three of them sound like they're, they were special players. So well, they're all, they were all different parts of my career. Like, you know, they weren't all at one team because that first team I had obviously had many, many good players, but when you break it down as sections, that was probably, it was probably the top three. Yeah. And you know, right. I mean, over, over a tenure, you've seen a lot of basketball. And so you kind of know when you have a player who's just a little different than everybody else. So that's, that's awesome. But you definitely need those other pieces, though. Having just a good player isn't going to get you anywhere. It's the kids that they make around them better and make the team better and ultimately achieve that team goal. I mean, that's, that's what those kids also do that make them important. Yeah. And I think as a coach, that's the, that's the message you seem to deliver pretty well because you've had some pretty good players and you've had some pretty good teams. So you have figured out how to get your best players to make everybody else better or your best, you know, people around them to be better because of that best player. So um, that's awesome. That's awesome stuff, coach. Well, you've survived the two minute drill. Uh, and, and again, I want to thank you for coming on. I, I was really excited for this podcast. Uh, all the great things I heard about you and what I've just heard from you today is just, I'm a huge fan 
And, and I really look forward to keeping an eye on you guys. I know your scheduling's tough this year, but even if it ends up being eight or nine games, it's eight or nine games I'm going to be very interested in paying attention to and, and seeing the results of. So, uh, well, listen, if, if some coach out there wants a game, look me up. Hey, listen, <laughs> I'll put something out on Twitter tonight and see if I get any bites. <laughs> But, uh, Coach, seriously, thanks for coming on. And, um, and, and, again, just for these younger coaches that have been listening, all I hear is how, how excited they are when they get a coach on there who's had a lot of success and who's done it for a while. And, and there's no way you disappointed tonight. So, again, thanks so much. And uh, hopefully we'll have you on in the future. Thank you, Anthony. I appreciate it. All right. So from beyond X's and O's podcast, I'm your host, Anthony Petrellis, Jane Keene from Malden Catholic Girls Basketball. Have a great night.